Sunday with Miriam on RTE Radio 1, sponsored by Supervalue Insurance. Driving value that matters on car, home and travel insurance. Now that's sound. Tweet at Miriam O'Call. Well, singer-songwriter John Grant, he's no stranger to Irish shores. He played the National Concert Hall earlier this week, singing the songs of the great Patsy Cline, and he's returning in November to Sligo Live. Well, before we chat about life and music and collaborations, let's have a listen to one of John's own songs. This is Where Dreams Go to Die. Well, John Grant grew up in Michigan, but he's been living in Iceland for many years. He lists many musicians among his friends and collaborators, including Elton John, Kylie Minogue, Tracy Thorne, Richard Hawley, CMAT, and of course, our own legendary Sinead O'Connor. John Grant, it's really great to have you in studio this morning. Thanks for coming. Uh, it's such a pleasure. Pleasure, Miriam. Thank, Thank you for you having so me. Thank you so much. Listen, I heard so much about the concert earlier in the week in the concert hall. It was a big success. Did <laughs> you enjoy it? And how come you love Patsy Cline so much? What does she mean to you? Well, thank you. I had a, I had a fantastic time. Um, it is such a joy to sing those songs. And with those musicians, I was playing with Richard Hawley's band. <laughs> and they're such an incredibly wonderful bunch of men and incredibly talented musicians, so it was an absolute joy. But I, it is sort of strange that I became such a big fan of Patsy Cline. And it happened uh, in the mid-80s when the film about her life came out mm-hmm. starring Jessica Lange. I was a big fan of Jessica Lange, so I sort of credit Jessica Lange for getting me into Patsy Cline because of the way she portrayed her, you know. And, uh, of course, the soundtrack is all Patsy and... Through that movie, I, I, I realized that it was okay for me to love that music. I don't know why, you know, I suppose when you're a kid, you think that's not cool for me. Or, you know, I was very into the new wave stuff. Um, I was listening to all the new romantic, new wave, um, industrial and electronic music. You know, I'm a huge Devo fan. Uh, but, you know, I was also, you know, listening to Sinead O'Connor and Kate Bush. And, and so I had a, a huge range of musical taste and, and loves. But uh, it was it was interesting that I that I really, I really sort of I really just fell for her and her music after that. And it really, really suits my voice. I never look back, you know, it's just exquisite, timeless, classic music. And you sing them so well. Probably impossible, but if you had to choose one of her songs that you love the most or you would choose to sing as the last song you're ever going to sing a Patsy Cline, what would it be? It would be If Only I Could Stay Asleep, which is a a lesser-known track by her. In the early 90s, um, they put out a retrospective of four discs, sort of an exhaustive catalog of her her tunes and that was on there and it was one of the most beautiful discoveries for me because it talks about only being able to meet this love that you've lost in your dreams and I guess I'm a bit of a romantic and so that song just uh, it just uh, shook me to my core somehow it's just so beautiful last night I dreamed 
And of course, John, Seema performed with you on the night. You sang backing vocals, of course, on her song, Where Are Your Kids Tonight? Tell me about working with her. Well, as I'm sure all of you know at this point, um, she's quite a powerhouse. Amazing. Yeah. You know, just mm. full of energy and life. And she loves people and she loves so many different types of music. And and I happen to be um, one of the people whose music she's followed you know, since she was young, from what I understand. And so it's just an honor for me to have been asked to be on. I mean, when it comes down to it, it's about the song. I don't really want to do a lot of that sort of thing right now. But when I heard the song, I just thought, wow, this is quite something. And I happened to hear her at a at a festival. I was walking back to my to my trailer and, and uh, I turned around and was like, hmm, who's that? I like that. I like the sound of her voice. And, uh, and just turning around and, you know, I have... Um, a couple of Irishmen in my band and in my crew. And uh, they said, oh, that's C-Mat. She's, she's sort of new to the scene. And, and I was like, wow, yeah, I, I really like that. I, I like the way she sounds. Um, so she's, yeah, she's, um, she's powerful. And I, I think she can do whatever she wants to do. It's just up to her, you know, yeah. how far she wants to go because she's, she's got such great instincts when it comes to songwriting. Yeah, I'm, I'm quite impressed by her. So where did the hopeless romantic in you come from? But were you like that? What were you like as a little boy growing up in Michigan? Well, I was, they called me Jolly Johnny, like people who were close to us. <laughs> Silly Susie and Jolly Johnny, because I have this sister, Susan, who, I, who I'm very close with and with whom I bonded over the music of Patsy Cline as well. And we had relatives that would come over and they called us Silly Susie and Jolly Johnny. And please do not call me that on the street when you see me. But yeah, I was I was a I was a very happy child. Um, it was clear that I was going to go in the direction of the arts. I think to my parents early on, and um, my dad. I remember my dad saying to me once that he knew they knew there was something different about me. You know, um, when I was two. You know, and I think I think he was referring to me being, you know, a little light in my loafers, as they as they used to say in the states. Um, you know, referring to my sexuality, but. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I was I was very joyful and and I loved dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. That was my main thing, you know. So I was always collecting models of dinosaurs, and I loved monsters. And you know, the, I remember seeing the the poster for this horror movie called Prophecy back in the seventies, and it had the most incredible poster, which I have hanging on my wall now in Iceland. And I and I and I love it. And I I badgered my father for days because it was a PG rated movie, you know, which is of course completely out of the question for a young child, young Methodist boy and growing up in Michigan, he finally, he finally uh, acquiesced and took me to the movie and, (laughs) and it was horrible. (laughs) But yeah, I, I I was, I guess, I don't know. I, and I loved uh, the snow. I loved going out in the snow and, 
drinking big cups of hot chocolate. And we'd spend all day out in the summer playing football out in the yard or basketball in the backyard. And so I was quite active and uh, just fascinated by everything and excited about the world, you know. So it sounds like it was quite an idyllic childhood. But yet when I was reading material for my interview with you this morning, um, it changed a bit, didn't it? When I think your parents, because they were profound Methodists, found it hard to deal with you being gay. Yeah, I mean, that didn't that didn't I didn't come out to them for a couple of decades. You know, it was a long time before that happened. But I mean, it was something that was simply out of the question. Mm. You know, that was something that was going to separate you from God and your family. And society in general, you know, so it was the worst, probably the worst thing that could happen to you. Um, so, yeah, it was a, it was a, that was quite difficult. And I knew from an early age that this was the case with me. So, you know, and I heard what people were saying and people were also telling me that that's what I was from a very young age too. So I didn't really, it, it, that's, that's something that fills me with a lot of anger that people have that, that the arrogance of people too presume to tell you what Mm -hmm. and who you are. And so you hear a lot of that in my work too, because I have a lot of, let's say, anger and sometimes rage, you know, based on that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you're always going to hear that in my music. I mean, it's the truth. So it's got to go in. It's got to be part of it. Does living in Iceland help? I mean, you you live in Iceland. Yeah. Why? Does that help you deal with life and issues or do you just love Iceland? I don't know. I, you know, it was a really sort of uh, quick, random decision because I went up there and I, you know, my my life was sort of in upheaval because I I was having this newfound resurrection, if you will, in in the world of music because of my first solo album, Queen of Denmark. So, Mm -hmm. and I didn't really have a, I wasn't really, I didn't have a permanent place to hang my hat at the time. So I, you know, I was always fascinated by Iceland. You know, I, was a big fan of the sugar cubes and you know growing up mm. and uh, i had seen you know slideshows of you know the beauty of the icelandic countryside and so when i went up there and and met the people and i i got very excited about it and i said i'm going to move up here and i'm just going to live up here and i and you know more than anything i really wanted to tackle that language because Why? well because i you know i i've spent most of my life you know, learning other languages like German and Russian. You know, I both speak both of those um, quite fluently. And I speak Spanish and I speak, uh, I have a pretty good vocabulary in French as well. And so I, I you know, I just, that was something that I really latched onto in, in the last year of high school in the States. I've always made it to languages through music, it seems like. So they're, you know, they're very closely connected. I thought, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to become a translator or an interpreter. I wanted to be an interpreter. So I ended up going to Germany. So how did you not become the translator, although you are incredibly, obviously talented, all these languages, and become the singer-songwriter you became? Well, I wouldn't dare to... I wanted to be an actor. You know, I was was involved in the theatre in high school, and I was good. And my teacher told me, she said, you know, I don't recommend this to everybody, but, you know, if you felt like this is something you wanted to do with your life, I would encourage you to do that because I feel like you could make Mm -hmm. it in that world. But that was another thing I was, my parents thought that was out of the question because, you know, those were all sickos in that field, you know. So no son of ours is going to, you know, do that. You know, they wanted me to be a missionary. That was my, you know, they wanted me to go to Russia and be a missionary. Um, so I gave up that dream and I, and I sort of, I became a musician in spite of myself. I, music was life-saving to me, of 
course. You know, mm -hmm. I, I really don't think that can be overstated. Um, and so I actually became a singer and a songwriter in spite of the fact that I was, you know, that I couldn't look at myself in the mirror and I couldn't face the outside world, you know, because I was so, there was just so much shame. I was so ashamed of what I was. It happened in fits, you know, I forced myself to, to do this. And it took me 20 years to feel comfortable, to start to feel comfortable doing it. I'm quite proud of the fact that I persevered, knowing that there must be a way for me to face myself and knowing that, you know, there must be a way for me to find my place in this world. And I know that I can sing and I know that I can play the piano. I believe that I can do this, you know, so, but it certainly wasn't, easy. it's never been easy. Yeah. And write beautiful songs. Was it almost oh, like you. your outlet? Like in other words, where you couldn't, oh, absolutely. Say, couldn't yeah. I mean, it was a way for me to say all of the things that I'd never been able to say. Yeah, your music. Yeah. Before we go, I know you've had lots of collaborations in your life, but one very special one I know for you with our yeah. Sinead, Sinead O'Connor. And I know yes. you don't want to say much, but you would like to pay tribute to her. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily easy to be close to Sinead. You know, she had a lot of walls up and she sort of, you know, she sort of, um, I mean, she had a very small circle and she graciously allowed me into her life, you know, and was very kind and and sort of took me under her wing. So, um, but, you know, she, she, she led a very complicated life and so she would disappear for long periods of time. But yeah, we were close mm -hmm. and, and, I, and I did love her and I know that she loved me. But I also feel, you know, when, as far as talking about her, I feel like I don't really have the right to talk about her. Mm. Um, and by that, I mean, I don't know if I understand enough. And, you know, she was, she was an incredible human being and she took some, some burdens on herself that, that few people, if any, in this world have been willing to shoulder. Mm. So, um, you know, I call her a load-bearing woman. You know, I think I, it might be sort of redundant to say that because I think most women are load-bearing <laughs> women, you know. They carry a lot. Um, but she was especially special. Yeah, yeah, she was. And, you know, that voice, I grew up listening to her, so I never really felt like I deserved to be in her presence. You know what I'm saying? And you can tell from my story that I would feel that way, mm -hmm. of course. It was incredibly special, and so I, I suppose I... I don't want to talk about it very much because it was, um, it's a precious thing, you know, and it's almost like if you talk about it, it's, it, it's not necessarily betraying that, but it's just almost too precious to, to discuss, you know what I mean? I completely understand. Yeah. John, thanks so much for being my guest this morning. The gig in Sligo Live is on the 3rd of November in the Knocknery Arena and ticket details are on Sligo Live. John Graham, thanks so much for being my guest this morning. Absolute pleasure, Miriam. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much.